Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here, just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly, that's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now, on with monkey tennis. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It's that time. What time? High time to say, if you've got time to give this time your time, then it's time to let this time spend time making your time a good time. On this time. Monkey tennis, please, please, cook your eggs. Be safe. The XA. Monkey tennis? Can I have a glass of water, please? It forced me to say he is gone. Monkey tennis? I said I'd find out more. I haven't done that. Pay for dinner, yeah? Monkey tennis? I said, who the hell is that? That's merely a shamed boy in a wig. Monkey tennis? There is broad agreement that John was good. Tommy, join me at the lady. The show that promises to be all things. To all men. To all women. And everything in between. Monkey tennis? There's a shuttle cock up there. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Monkey Tennis, where tonight we'll not just be taking a deep dive into the latest episode of This Time, Series 2, but also witnessing the reunion of four podcasters that haven't seen each other for over six months, and none of them will be winning a caravan. I'm Adam Brooks, and I'm joined by Tom Dark. Is the apple in our pocket replacing the noodle in our brains? Nick Alder. For God's sake, Rosie, you can't eat raw egg. And Tom Stab. It's high time to say if you've got time to give this time your time, then it's time to let this time spend time making your time a good time on this time. As you've hopefully already noticed, we are aiming to put our episodes up pretty much as soon as this time has gone out on BBC One each Friday, so you can start your weekend right with the Allen Monkey Tennis 1-2 Double Punch. Uh, that said, we are not responsible for the behaviour of podcast providers. Sometimes they make promises about getting things live that are not kept. So the best way to make sure you get our episodes as soon as possible and you can have a full hour of Allen-related fun every Friday is to subscribe. So please do do that wherever you get your podcasts from and we'll make sure they go in your inbox as soon as we physically can. 
And Adam, I do believe that uh, Apple Podcasts are very much pushing for people to follow, not subscribe anymore. It doesn't make any difference, but I think that might be the <laughs> word they're going for now. So you can follow, you can subscribe. One of those two things should get you there. That sounds it. like you're splitting hairs, Tom. S- <laughs> splitting? <laughs> send up a smoke signal, send a carrier pigeon, whatever it is yeah, Apple wants work. you to do now, please do it. <laughs> and they, your Apple overlords, do what they say. Can't stress that enough. Do what um, Apple say. As you'll have noticed from uh, recent feedback episodes, we love to hear from all of you. So let me say right at the top of this episode, if you've got any theories, thoughts, complaints or queries about uh, episode one of this time, or perhaps some predictions for the rest of the series, you can drop us an email, thepartridgepod at gmail.com. Fire us a message, facebook.com slash thepartridgepod. Pop off a tweet, Twitter at thepartridgepod. Follow us for a laugh. <laughs> Instagram at monkeytennispod. <laughs> Leave us a voice note, Monkey Tennis hotline 07923 600 or shout us a coffee or equivalent donation at ko-fi.com slash monkey tennis so hard sell aside we like to start each episode with a little roundup we call this week in alan where basically we take a look at uh, promo bits trailers ephemera that's popped up on the internet relating to the episode before we get into the episode itself so this week in alan what's happened uh, yeah i'll get us started with this so there was an interview with alan in character on the british comedy guide that went live uh probably about a week or so ago um so if you want to find the British Comedy Guide, they've got the very snappy URL of they are literally comedy.co.uk. So you can't really go wrong with that. So this is uh, an interview with Alan in character, which I just thought is an example of some excellent, uh, this time, world building and some nice consolidation of some familiar Alan traits. I was just going to highlight three things that I particularly liked from this, but I would say it's worth tracking it down and reading the whole thing in full. It's very funny. Um, a couple of quotes from Alan. He says that they underfill the show by about 30% to allow for nattering, so over the half hour expect around 20 minutes of content, and the rest of it is left slack to keep the show fresh. Um, Alan also states it is possible to over-prepare for a show and render it stale. Instead, I prefer to experience parts of the show as a viewer would, which means sometimes I won't really know who a guest is until they come on. And he also talks about the producer being very hands-off, which means he'll leave you to write your own auto-cue or deliver video packages without always running them by him. Um, There are also some choice lines about Jenny, Ruth and Simon, but I don't want to read out all of the gold. But I thought those, those three quotes in particular were great because... That it's just kind of building that world where it makes sense why the VT packages can be insane, why Alan has never prepped. I mean, you know, we know that's and that's we would expect that from Alan going as far back as Naomi knowing you anyway. But I just like them building the world around that and putting it into in-character interviews to kind of give the reason why what we see developing this time can be as slack as it often is. Uh, that's not all. We were also um, alerted to, I guess, something of a spoiler um, on IMDb. So I'm going to tread carefully around this. Um, but essentially, uh, there is a, I would say, well-known character from Alan's past um, that we had kind of flagged to us. Uh, it was credited on on IMDb. So we're not going to name who the character is. Um, we're simply going to say that if you want to see who that character is, you can go on IMDb and see it for yourself. Um, I think it's fair to say that on behalf of the group, we're incredibly excited at the prospect of this character um, reappearing in the APU. So as I say, we're not going to go into any details as to what it is, but if you want to see it spoiled, head to IMDb and you can see who the character is. And I'm sure you'll agree. It's very exciting. 
I was just going to say about this, actually. I, I think from what we've seen, it's actually not clear what episode they appear in either. So obviously they're not in this week's episode, as we know, having now seen it. Um, so it is unclear <laughs> who this mystery character is. It is unclear, um, I guess, how and when and why they're going to uh, reappear in the APU. But it, yeah, it, it is very exciting. But I kind of wish that I didn't know they were going to make a return if you know what i mean yeah completely agree and um yeah like like nick says um if you like spoilers you can have a look but we're not going to say uh but we recommend that you don't go and have a look and just watch the series and wait for that moment to happen so um yeah we're all very excited about it um and then finally before we crack on uh dissecting this week's episode uh towards the end of last week we had a second trailer for this time which as we now know is basically the opening um segment pretty much of, of episode one um which works i mean i think we all kind of agreed that what we saw before with rosie witter returning wasn't really much of a trailer it was just a clip really um but this works a lot better um as a um as a trailer than than the previous mm. one did so that, that kind of helps set up the new series and I, I i do wonder why they didn't include it as the first trailer because it, it maybe mm. because of its proximity to the to the first episode i don't know but they didn't want to go too early but anyway we, we got a second trailer and um, I think from watching that I got really really excited so and then obviously transpires it's the opening scene knowing the world of Alan the real the reason that wasn't the first trailer it probably wasn't ready they probably yeah. hadn't finished writing it by <laughs> that point um, I did enjoy because so this went up on the BBC trailers YouTube channel the comment I enjoyed here is somebody wrote if I had no idea who Alan Partridge was, this could have been a legit commercial for a breakfast show. And I thought they make a very good point. It's like, it's done, I'm sure we'll get into this in much more detail imminently, but it's done in such a slick fashion. If you didn't know Alan was a fictional character, you could definitely be like, oh, what's this new BBC One chat show coming my way? I feel like that's probably a similar tack to the one that they took when they were doing Knowing Me, Knowing You back in the day as well. I do think initially they presented it as... It's it's just a chat show, and then it was kind of inherent in the trailers or in, in, in watching the opening minutes what was actually going on. What it does show is kind of, and you do get nuggets of this throughout um, throughout the history of Alan, is that there are times when he is a very competent broadcaster. He can actually deliver lines. You know, the walk and talk is quite a difficult thing to do. Um, you would think, oh, he's actually quite a competent presenter. But obviously we know over the years mm. that that hasn't always been the case. And he does have these momentary, <laughs> well, regular slip ups and, uh, and, and balls ups. But um, he, he does have his moments. Mm. I would also say that um, looking at this episode and previous this time episodes, the bits where he's relatively slick are the bits where it, it needn't have been live. So he could have had endless goes at this walk and talk right, before yeah, he actually true, got it yeah. right. That's, mm-hmm, my, that's, mm-hmm. my, that's my feeling is that when he looks slickest is when he's been able to fluff it a hundred times and no one need ever know. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, shall so- we break into the episode itself then? Let's I think now open. is the time, yeah. Okay, I mean, what I love to initially, straight off the bat, is you've got a very quick fire 15 seconds where there's about 10 gags in a row, uh, mainly revolving around Alan's nasal and ear hair <laughs> maintenance regime. Um, I like the fact that he describes to Linda that he's, that the, he's trimming it because it's like bracken. Um, there's a nice reveal that he's actually borrowing Lynn's clippers to do this <laughs> yeah, as well. Excellent, yeah. yeah. And uh, she's concerned about the smell of burning, but he assures her that it is normal. 
Um, I think as, you know, we're all men in our mid-30s, I think we can all agree that this procedure that Alan is going through before the show is absolutely necessary. I'd say speak for yourself. I, I know on, on record from WhatsApp conversation that Stab and Nick are both advocates of uh, the nasal trimming devices. Not had to go there yet, fortunately. Although it's I'm like sure it's only a matter of time. It's weeks away, probably. You, uh, yeah. You, uh, those the, the those, ten, those still tendrils creep, creep ever closer. Yeah. Uh, I'm also experimenting with um, keeping ear hair in check now as well, which has been uh, fun over the last couple of years. <laughs> um, one little touch that I like here um, as Alan starts his... Um his, his little monologue to, to camera is the picture of the photo of Ellen MacArthur yes. on the desk, mm, which is yeah. a bit of a Gibbons writing trope that, that Alan is a fan of, um, of Ellen MacArthur because she's mentioned in Oast House. Um, I think it's when it's for the Southampton boat show where he says he wants to go along to see Ellen <laughs> MacArthur and say like great sailing kiddo. Yeah. Like, that's, yeah. Like she's a world-class yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sailor. But um, I like that. It's just like a little, nugget for people who are super fans who have perhaps listened to the yeah. host house that there's a picture of Ellen MacArthur there I, I have to say as well before we get into the kind of monologue bit that follows uh the 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 kind of the tooth pin badge as obviously we know from having seen the trailers and a few promo shots already so that is firmly in frame here so you know I'm still I I really want to know what it means and you know we, we got no indication about that uh, during series one so I'm excited that it is very present in everything we've seen of this series so far but I am intrigued to see if we'll actually get any kind of revelation at all. Um, when Alan starts his monologue there's a little bit in the script that I didn't notice first time that I think is really clever and just blink and you miss it. And um, so Alan starts uh, the monologue and he says that he is in dressing room A. I did clock this. Yeah, (laughs) And then he says that Jenny is in dressing room one. So it's the guess that Alan Alan has refused to be in dressing room two. So he's insisted on changing the name to dressing room A. So it's on parity with Jenny. Yeah, I love that. That's such a nice touch. Um, and, that is and, and yeah so they get into this sort of Aaron Sorkin style walk and talk which is <laughs> great fun um, uh, uh, especially when he's sort of I mean it, the, part of the reason it works so well as a trailer is not only is it very funny and it indicates sort of it gives you lots of hints to Alan and Jenny's relationship to one another but it is also them literally describing the show as well so it sums everything up very neatly for people that haven't perhaps watched the first series um, he talks about the topics they cover as ranging from aqua aerobics to abortion and zebras to Zionism uh, so I <laughs> I did a quick Google search to see which of these topics uh, beat the other one. Which do you think is more popular on uh, Google Trends UK last 12 months? Is it aerobics or is it abortion? I reckon abortion. given lockdown, given lockdown, aerobics, aerobics right? I think. Yeah. I don't know, but who's searching for aerobics these days? It's quite an yeah. 80s term, isn't yeah. it? No one says I'm Good going point. to do aerobics now, are they? They're more searching for Bikram yeah. yoga and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I'm I don't know if I'm pleased to say it or not, but abortion wins by a landslide. Uh, <laughs> next question: zebras or Zionism? Zebras, zebras. surely. Oh, Nick's on the uh, fence there. I'm well. Uh, zebras are less. I'll, I'll zebras less of a hot potato. Uh, it's zebras. Okay, well, there one out of two. Fifty percent. That's a pass at GCSE. <laughs> Now, <laughs> now, one of the things that I loved, and this is a similar kind of a similar thing to, to, to the one that Stab just talked about with the dressing rooms, just a little, a very blinking you'll miss it thing, which someone has actually flagged to us, I think, on Twitter as well, which is annoying mm. because I thought I was the only one that had spotted it. As part of the monologue, uh, Alan goes through and he names various crew members as he's sort of collecting clipboards from them or pointing to them as he enters the studio. And there are four people in a row that he names. Um, and if you look closely, only one of them is female and she's at the very 
end of the group of four, yet the third mm. name that he gives is Shauna. So clearly he's learned their names just to do this link. I mean, in fact, I think there's been a rolling gag. There's been a rolling gag about him not knowing what the crew is yes, called. Yeah. Yeah. You know, where like, you know, um, Psychic Simon will refer to someone in the crew and Alan will have to ask who it is. Um, <laughs> But yeah, clearly he learned their names for this bit and because they're, you know, working members of the crew, they've had to shuffle their positions to do some work uh, and Sean has ended up in the wrong place and it's made him look like an absolute bloody fool. <laughs> so yeah, so at this point it's when he says, hi Nathan, Jermaine, Shauna, Trent. I th- there are so many layers to this tiny, tiny bit of script because as we discussed, there's no way that Alan casually knows their names. He's had to learn them specifically for this intro. But also you've got, You've got the, there's an inherent joke here about you've basically got four black members of the crew on camera, so it's allowing the BB the fictionalized version of the BBC as a way for them to display that they're covering their kind of diversity needs, but also that is an inherent joke upon itself about how the BBC may or may not do that. Um, yeah, it's kind of I, I, can't, I can't think of a better way to describe it, but there's kind of like art imitating life kind of diversity box ticking nature to that gag there i think as well it's smartly done because to to kind of like prod fun at diversity and inclusion is is not a particularly like humorous topic but what i think they've been able to do is quite smartly um deliver a gag that that isn't in any way mean-spirited but at the same time is is kind of having a bit of a fun at at the bbc and i think it's very well observed I, th- I think that's right. It's kind of it isn't mocking diversity and inclusion. Yeah, it's... but it, but it, it's the way that that can be overtly yeah. displayed. Yeah, to yeah. kind and of feel like it's a box ticking exercise. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Right on the heels of that as well, there's something very similar in terms of gender identity. In that there's a rehearsed walk and talk between Alan and Jenny, where mm. he says, mm. you know, there's something for every man, and then she's like, and woman, and then he's like, and everyone in between. You know, so again, <laughs> yeah. trying yeah. to cover the spectrum, but also giving the impression that he he had forgotten to mention women and she had to correct him and then he sort of you know accepts it with a laugh like yeah the whole thing is just kind of painfully staged isn't it so before we get to the sofa i was just going to say i don't know what you guys made made of this opening but when i was sitting there watching this i was like okay wow this is this is actually this is really slick and professional alan and jenny seem to be like a highly functioning presenting duo at this point so i guess you know i was like we can only assume that any of the differences between them at the end of season one have been ironed out and I quite like as well this kind of tease up to, so at this point, what could possibly go wrong, which means everything could go wrong from now on. Yeah, at, at, at this point, I was quite excited about my predictor partridge coming to fruition, which was, you know, Jenny and Alan sort of being on a united front and um, had, had kind of put their differences aside and were, were taking mm. on uh, the, 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 the role of, of, of presenters in a kind of amicable way. But um, as, as, we, as we'll get to it, um, maybe it's a, a little bit for show. Uh, I would say there's there's the first niggle between them comes within about 15 seconds of the credits rolling. Um, I mean, there's a bit where they're kind of, they're sort of doing their kind of presenter's fake laughter, but then he ruins it. He over-exit by going, oh, here comes the camera, you know, as if they'd just been having a genuine conversation and forgot they were on telly. Um, and then there's a bit where, where um, yeah, he goes to her, oh, I thought you did that really well. And then she replies, yeah, and you got your breathing right. <laughs> Which is also what indicated to me that they've had to run that intro multiple, uh, that yes. talk, yeah, multiple yeah, yeah, times yeah, yeah. before they got yeah. one they could use. Alan then says that to get into a ladies dressing room at the BBC these days they're talking about their comparative rooms uh, you'd have to get in a time machine back to the 70s but he does also reveal that Jenny has a sign above her mirror that says never ever compromise to which I thought yes but here we are <laughs> with, her, with her sat next to Alan Partridge against her will Great. you can't believe that, that there's been no compromise involved in this situation 
Okay, so there's there's a couple of things though, because I don't think we should gloss over this 1970s time machine. I was I thought this was incredible that about less than two minutes into the first show of the episode of this series, they've managed to get essentially a U tree slash Jimmy Savile gag into the show. I thought that was quite impressive and quite bold. Because I think Alan actually says, uh, set the coordinates for 1970s, which as we know was good and bad. Um, and I think, yeah, it's, you know, it's a lot, but the implication is, is a lot about where that joke lies. And yeah, they never ever compromise. I thought that was great because that, to me, that feels quite important. Like they're signposting that Jenny is still as kind of ambitious and ruthless as we thought she was in series one, which kind of seemed to build across the series. So I feel like putting that right in there at the top is kind of waving a big flag saying, don't forget, you know you know who this character is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I also think yeah. it's a bit disarming or an attempt to be disarming on Alan's part to, to share that because it's obviously quite pertinent to, to Jenny. So the fact mm. that Alan is sharing that on her behalf, I think is like a subtle disarming move to kind of, you know, showcase her character uh, because she's obviously, she's obviously a kind of strong, powerful woman, which understandably is probably quite intimidating for Alan, basically, in yeah, 2021. It's, it's sort of him going to the viewers, you know, don't forget that she's ruthless, you know, please, yeah. don't mm. forget that she's ruthless. She will stab me um, in the back. Yeah. Um, there's a lovely jab uh, a little bit after that about um, kids at state schools never getting to run the BBC, um, which I thought was really interesting. I did try and find out whether anyone who'd been to state school did ever run the BBC. doesn't look like it. Uh, couldn't, find it <laughs> couldn't find any stats to confirm it either way, but I did think it was strange. The BBC has a website that has a rundown of them all with sort of like, they're all laid out as if they played Doctor Who, you know? So it's like 13th director general, <laughs> you know, so-and-so name. Um and it really reminded me of Doctor Who. It was like the director general just continues to regenerate, but it's always <laughs> it's always a rich white man that was privately educated. Um, so a, a quick quiz. Do you think there have been more director generals of the BBC or Doctor Who's? Great question. Oh, um, I think there have been more DGs. I reckon there's been more Doctor Who's. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to go DGs. Okay, there are 13 official Doctor Who's. There are 17 director generals of the BBC. Uh, it's been going a long time. <laughs> all white, all white men, as far as I can tell. Brilliant. So <laughs> more brilliant, more, 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 yeah. more, more brilliant. Than, yeah. without, without context, that, that sounds terrible. That's, yeah, uh, so, yeah. so what's that? Tom Stab saying more of that, please. Keep up the great work. Yeah. Uh, on Diversity Watch, that means that yeah, Doctor Who's are more diverse than the BBC. But let's be honest, not by much. <laughs> I was going to say as well, so much like saying I was impressed they got a U-Tree gag two minutes into the show, I was further impressed by we're now three minutes into the show and they've already got a gag in about the upper management of the BBC as well. I'd like, you know, they're, they're really like gunning for some quite they're big targets yeah. and kind of like uh, mocking the BBC institution from within, uh, which I just think is qu- quite bold scripting and fair play to the powers that be in the BBC for actually letting them go along with it i guess psychic simon's reintroduced us uh, at this point i think alan throws over to him hoping he's got a zinger but he hasn't uh, as alan says always have something ready yeah, uh, yeah and i just i love that yeah simon simon's first opportunity to speak is basically mired in his own incompetence <laughs> and you've got two classic things here you've got on-air coaching from alan which we've seen so much and is always funny and again simon's facial reaction which is always superb probably within five minutes here we've got the first mention of a bombshell which is a nice uh, throwback to him, him forever ending 
episodes of Knowing Me, Knowing You with and on that bombshell. Um, and also his sort of endless quest to be, to have a world first or to kind of, you know, do something groundbreaking. So um, he mentions that they're going to be reuniting brothers who've been separated for 60 years, um, which I think that there's a bit of this in previous this times as well, where they kind of, they introduce a concept that's coming up later in the show and it gives you as the viewer plenty of time to sort of speculate mm. about how that's going to go wrong. Um, and then they add mm. an extra detail as they go, uh, that, that makes it even more likely that it's going to go wrong. Yeah, and that's kind of reminiscent of, of Knowing Me, Knowing You, isn't it? You, know, you have him at the beginning saying, uh, of the very first show, we're going to have Roger Moore at the end of the episode, and obviously we know that's probably not going to happen. Um, uh, hot Pants as well, how's that going to go wrong? What's going to happen there? It's a, it's, a, it's a reliable trope of Alan writing that he introduces something at the beginning and you know it's going to go very badly. <laughs> Um, we're talking about haggis now, aren't we? Which, as far as Alan's concerned, is just a fat sheep and porridge sausage. Yep. Does anyone have haggis? Anyone yeah, I, haggis? I like it's haggis. I like it, but it's kind of like one of those slightly perverse foods, like black pudding. You know, it's like you sort of like the taste of it, like you like the smell of petrol, if that makes sense. <laughs> Do <laughs> I like the smell of petrol? <laughs> is that a thing? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's like, yeah, it's, I think haggis, I, I've had it and it's nice, but. The moment you start thinking about what it is, you're like, mm, do I want to eat any more of this? Mm, <laughs> yes, to which, to which I would say, who on this group has never eaten a sausage? That, well, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, fair point. <laughs> I think Lynn re-enters the scene at this point, and uh, she's got a new hip, which according to Alan, <laughs> which according to Alan makes her like Robocop or Oscar Pistorius. Brilliant. <laughs> Does that mean she's got? Does that mean she's got two fake hips now? Because obviously in Iron Man and Partridge, you said shoot from your hip, your new hip. So is oh, this yeah. a second oh, new yeah. hip? Yeah, that's be, right. Yeah. I mean, and that yeah. would explain those references because obviously yes. both of those people have their legs replaced. <laughs> fully fully mechanised. <laughs> if, if that's the right Lynn way to put it. Lynn is fully mechanised. Yeah. Um, she, she went for a PVC hip. Alan says he, he would have gone for titanium because it lasts for years. But then on second glance at Lynn, he says, actually, do you know what? PVC is yeah. going to be fine. <laughs> she has so long to go. He's done the maths on the age and it's fine. It's absolutely fine. <laughs> um, a couple of other bits in this exchange that I liked. Um, I think it turns out that Lynn has started using bullet points uh, to which Alan says, I mm. knew you'd like them if you tried them. Um, and there's a, a note of concern for him because the new producer of this time has come over from E4, which obviously there's a, a great subtext there about how likely they are to want Alan foregrounded versus yeah. Jenny or even yeah. Simon at this point. Uh, and also I think they do this deliberately as as they, as they talk about the new producer from E4 and they say change is afoot, they do cut away to an oblivious looking Simon, uh, which I think is, is quite deliberate. I also enjoyed that the concern that he raises about the producer is because there's a waka waka that they've added to the theme tune. Is that that was so kind of like revolutionary and caused to be concerned that he's made the smallest of changes to the yeah. intro music. Adam Allen's already panicking about it. I, I also just like the, the shorthand that, you know, a producer, a younger chap from E4, that's the shorthand for like, oh, they're going to try and make this some kind of like youth programming or something. It's just, yeah, yeah I, I think it's, yeah, the reality of it is probably quite unlikely, but um, yeah, did you guys have a note of the uh, the poem or the prose that Alan then cribs after this? I thought this was a brilliant bit of scripting. So there's quite a famous uh, poem by uh, someone called, I'm probably going to absolutely mangle the pronunciation here, by a writer called Martin Niemola. Nimola, um, the best the best known version of which is first they came for the socialists and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me 
and there was no one left to speak for me. But of course, Alan's version is, first they came for the theme tune, but I did not speak out because I'm not a theme tune. <laughs> then they came for the title graphic, but I did not speak out because I'm not a title graphic. And then they came for me, and I was cross because I'd taken my eye off the ball. <laughs> I thought that was so good. Yeah. I feel like I've heard that poem or versions of that poem in other TV programmes or films or something like that. I think it, I, I, yeah. I, I didn't know it was a poem and I didn't know who it was by, but I've heard similar kind of um i feel like there are lots of different versions of it yeah. that did around and it's just kind of it's quite a common i think particularly bearing in mind where a lot of discourse on social media ends up yes, these yep. days i think it gets quoted on social media quite a lot as well i had one more note about the lynn section before we move on alan says to her no one notices you lynn that's what makes you the perfect snooper i like that because i feel like that ties in quite nicely with uh, lynn's detective skills that we've seen on display in from the oast house one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Well, at this point, it's time to meet our first guest. We are talking body language with Clarissa Hoskin, who's written a book with a very snappy title, a Physical Negotiation, How to Get What You Want, A Corporal Survivor Guide. <laughs> <laughs> it's body language expert Clarissa Hoskin. Yeah. I like that Alan kind of suggests that body language is sort of like a science in a, in a weird way, to which she responds, well, no, no, it, it is science in a very real way. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's also a nice little uh, little jab back and forth between Alan and Jenny when um, he's introducing the concept of body language. He says, yeah, batting of eyelids, sound familiar? To which she hits yeah. back about, uh, about uh, the fact that Alan always has his nap um, at a certain <laughs> point in the show as well. Did you guys get down the list of Alan's body language examples? Um, only the one that I think is most prudent, which I believe is uh, whether a divorcee biting her lip when he suggests skipping dessert is uh, a good or bad thing. <laughs> is she anxious or is she intrigued? 
Uh, I, I was actually going for the laugh, cry, sigh, scoff, tut and grunt. It's clear that Jenny is visibly excited by having this guest on, which I guess kind of ties into that message above her dressing room. It's kind of, she's ambitious. This is about body language in a sort of um, competitive environment. So she's looking to get any tips or she's looking to get advice on how she can use body language to further her career. I just noticed that she was just very... Um, enthusiastic about this guest. I, I also enjoyed that uh, the guest was talking about how much she hates when people think they know a little bit about body language, uh, <laughs> and that obviously that obviously reminded Alan that actually he does know a little bit about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then we're on to Alan's old instructional video for the Norwich Chamber of Commerce, made in 1990, uh, which has got some absolutely incredible production values. The on screen <laughs> the on screen graphics really made me think of Nickelodeon's Rugrats. Like yeah, same yeah, 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 yeah. Bang on, yeah. Um, I, I noticed something quite fun about this as well. Um, the the computer that's on the desk, nothing there is plugged in. There are yeah. just uh, wires just trading on the floor. Little details like that, I think, really made it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we we kind of see a um, a woman kind of um, in a in a hypothetical situation um, trying to speak to a boss. She's struggling to control a team of five men. Um, and I do like kind of the first uh, tip that we're given. Uh, if in if in doubt, handle and spout in terms yeah. of the uh, in terms of the posture to adapt uh, to adopt. Sorry, um, I mean that's not a thing, is it? No, no. <laughs> that, yeah, that's not even like that isn't even a thing in the real world that you would ever adopt. Like if in doubt, handle and spout. You would never communicate in the office like with your hand kind of like bent and your arm <laughs> kind of on your back. <laughs> Okay, so there's some lovely bits in the video. One is when the word rad just appears on screen apropos of almost nothing. Um, And the other is when Alan's script uh, says that basically not keeping eye contact indicates shyness, dishonesty, gypsy or boredom. (laughs) So good. I I love that. It's a very common Alan trope, uh, a dig against the gypsy community. But I also really enjoyed the fact that grammatically it doesn't make any sense. Uh, So this has been um, commissioned by the Norwich Chamber of Commerce. So it's good to see that public money has been used to fund such an incredible production. Uh, And Alan says it's aged well despite being made in 90, which doesn't even make sense either. Surely you'd say 1990. Um, there's a lovely and it hasn't aged well as well. Aged, yeah, yeah that's, that's the other point to make there as well. Sorry, it hasn't aged well as well. Don't allow that. Yeah. Uh, a lovely bit when they're back in the studio and they're they're using one of the one of the sort of supposedly best known instances of body language, which is Sharon Stone. With now, depending whether you're Jenny or Alan, that sentence is completed with the phrase either basic instinct if you're Jenny or if you're Alan, Fanny. Yeah, that that's a big laugh from me. That mm. is great. Yeah, did you guys notice as well, this does come slightly after um, Susanna kind of testing out the body language, mm. but um, Alan calls Clarissa Sharon. Yeah. Which I thought was an, a nice subtle gag, so he's just got Sharon Stone on the mind now. Because <laughs> yeah. there's, basically, um, you've got the reference about Alan uh, crossing his legs to show a brand of socks on TV, which Jenny yeah. calls him out yeah. for. Yeah, great. Um, and then after Jenny's done her run, run through and Clarissa's quite impressed, for a moment she uncrosses her legs to compliment her body language. And Alan says, oh, I think you've got a new friend there. I take that back, <laughs> immediately correcting herself. So that is why he's then got Sharon Stone in his mind from that point. Um, some lovely bits where, where Alan is now giving advice to the expert with his yep. power, power stance. <laughs> and again, as Nick mentioned earlier, some incredible grimacing from Simon when they cut away to him. Yeah. Uh, they, do tend to, they do tend to use Simon quite well to illustrate when, when Alan's gone, yeah. gone off on one. And, mm. and it's sort of, I guess Simon is a bit of a proxy for the whole crew. Like they're not going to show anyone behind the camera, but they're all making that face, that sort of Wallace and yeah. Gromit, like gritted teeth. <laughs> oh God, it's happened again face. <laughs> Uh, two bits of script that I really like. 
you've got arms, use them. And uh, free chair, you don't need it. Lee. Yeah, that was great. I also enjoyed uh, the sound of his knees cracking yeah. when he's doing yeah. that hard run through as well. Just the, the tone deaf nature of Alan doing this is exactly what we would expect, but it doesn't make it any less cringy. Totally takes over. And then going like with a hop, skip, jump, bound, power stance, and then and then the knees. It had a Hold sort of it. similar. It, Hold <laughs> it. <laughs> it. I thought it had a similar feel to when he's trying to explain how you get um, how you can use the uh, toilet in a in a train without yeah. kind of touching it. It kind of had a bit mm. of physicality to it that he kind of self narrates as he kind of performs what he's kind of talking through. It just really reminded me of that scene, and I, I've kind of always in, I've always enjoyed him doing those kind of things where he just goes off on a on a tangent. Um, I think it's. It's well performed and it's well scripted. The paper, paper, paper from yeah. series one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, moving on, there's a development with the twins reunion that he mentioned at the top of the show, which again, I think is another invitation to the viewer to work out how this is going to go wrong. Um, it turns out that uh, the premise that's got them both together is that one of them thinks they've won a caravan. Um, presumably, <laughs> I thought the choice of fake prize may well have been Alan's. We know he's got a fondness for a static home and potentially a hookup for a freebie. Um, oh, yeah. I, don't they say that one of them is a fan of caravans? They do, la- sure they do later. later yeah. They do later in the show, right. but I also think that could have been reverse engineered by Alan. It, it's also it's also <laughs> stressed. It's, it's also stressed. It's like mid range, so it'd be like imagine a car enthusiast being told that they could come onto a game show where they might win a Mondeo. It's it's like <laughs> mm, is that the hook that you're going to use? Uh, it's time for the sound of silence, Shh. isn't it? Um, yeah, yes, I like. Yes, it is. Yes, <laughs> he's, he's off to he's off to a monastery. Um, and I, well, the, well, the sort of opening question of this bit is: it, he's, What is silence? Which I thought surely that is a rhetorical question that no one is is asking. The answer is very clear: what silence is? It's the absence of sound. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, he, he's tr- he's trying to invent a sort of a desire for knowledge that doesn't exist. Yeah, I think that I don't know. Um, this this is kind of more of a sort of an observation on this kind of set piece because you'll often get these kind of two minute like or you know two to five minute kind of um, uh, set pieces which are kind of him being almost like the roving reporter of the show where he's mm. investigating you know a subject. I thought this was an interesting topic to almost look into because kind of as you've said, uh, Adam, it's like well, what's the question you're even really trying to get an answer to? And I did think just purely purely from a sort of overarching comedic perspective, I feel like we're about to enter a slightly uh, barren uh, section from a, even a jokes perspective I didn't think this was particularly that funny Can I just say I, I really agree I think for me this was probably the low point of the episode and it's like it wasn't bad per se like there are still plenty of gags to be found in it but I think compared to everything else we've seen so far it just felt quite weak in comparison Yeah and I, I think quite often the weakest elements of any episode of this time from the first series, for example, were the longer VT sections, in in Mm -hmm. my opinion. But also, I've been thinking about this a little bit um, from this time and and from seeing this section about how, about what this show is and like people will probably say, oh, it's not funny or whatever. And I think something that, the concept of the show is that it's it's a pastiche, it's a parody of a, a TV show. It's not a sitcom. Situation comedy is obviously comedy, you know, um, well, situ- situations, that's what it's short for, short, <laughs> s- sitcom. This isn't a sitcom, this is a parody. And I think there is a difficulty in having stuff that is out and outlandish and hilarious and funny and gag, 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 when the con- conceit of the show is that this is actually a serious VT package for people who are actually at home. So it's 
I guess I've kind of, in a weird way, I've kind of made my peace with the VT sections not being massively funny because then they're they're staying more true to what the con what the conceit of the show is than trying to be a sitcom, basically, which it's not. If that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think you're right, but I, and I think it's interesting. So I feel like something we talked about um, wrapping up, kind of series one. In a way, it it almost could function like a sketch show. Because you could take these individual segments mm. and place them quite individually. But, but what I feel is interesting, now we're into series two, and I mean, okay, fine, we're only one episode in of six, but feeling like like this is one of my least favourite bits, because I'm finding myself already more drawn to the developing storylines we're seeing in the studio. Yeah, I think I'm preferring, I mean, again, this is based on one episode, but... I'm finding myself preferring the rhythm and the tempo of the script when they're in the studio. And because there is a long drawn out storyline across whatever we're going to see for the next five episodes, I'm already more interested in that, which I think is quite interesting. Whereas perhaps there was a bit more of a novelty to having these VT packages in series one and seeing how they play out. And I think like we're kind of saying, ultimately they always felt a bit flatter than the stuff where Alan's interacting with Jenny, with Simon. So I'm now finding myself, that's what I want to see. I could quite happily have six episodes when it's all in the studio without these VTs taking away. I'd kind of like more of the off-camera conversations and how seeing how these relationships build. From a writing a writing point of view, I wonder how like writing these sections compares to writing for the stuff in the studio, whether it's more difficult or whether it's easier because it, it doesn't have to be so reliant on jokes. The jokes can be a bit more subtle, whereas in the studio, I think they have to be a bit more um, in your face because that's when it is kind of a bit more like a sitcom, whereas this obviously isn't. So I mm. wonder as you know, when it comes to writing and the challenge of writing, whether these are easier or, or, or more difficult to, to, to write for the Gibbons and, and Steve. But I guess yeah. we're kind of digressing a little bit about the episode. But I mean, yeah, it, it doesn't. It also doesn't need to move the narrative forward. So perhaps mm. there's a little less pressure yeah. on, on these scenes. But like you say, they are somewhat boxed in by the conceit of the mm. show as well. Um, so he asks, yeah, he asks what is silence? Um, and he talks about the prospect of, of silence becoming so scarce that you'll be able to swap one hour of silence for a bike. Uh, I, did try to, <laughs> I did try to look up whether anyone had paid for silence and let me tell you those are some of the grimmest search results of the year for me never search for paid for silence <laughs> some horrendous <laughs> stories out there i would say to kind of um bring it back to kind of the the comedy then what i did really enjoy about this is alan's injured his hand as a result of this uh, as a result of visiting the monastery so he has to leave a day early and then basically drives off to it's my life <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and the use of that song I thought was a great little Easter egg level joke for the hardcore Alan fans because we know that that song is on his walking playlist from Nomad for example yep. so on a surface level it's just a comedic song choice because it's kind of blaring out the back of blaring out of his car off the back of a piece about silence but if you're fully invested in the APU that really has a great payoff I think one of the, a couple of things that I did like from this piece, uh, from this section, were um, the, the, the specifically the line. It occurred to me, God, all knowing, invisible, and all the, all around us is identical to high speed Wi Fi. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then uh, I thought the bit around the, in the cathedral was quite reminiscent of Alan in the Norwich Cathedral cloisters, which I thought um, mm. was a nice little yes. comparison there. Uh, and I did enjoy the uh, the no running and jumping slow mo jump bit where uh, Alan then turns into Christ on the cross. Yeah, yeah. Some bits that I really liked about this 
this, um, he talks about the fact that young Christians are often banging tambourines and in the confusion, you end up believing in God. Um, <laughs> there's a really great bit when he's talking about silence and his inability to leave silence on screen because of the BBC guidelines that mean that you have to have a noise every minute or so. And also that he's been told that BBC One viewers uh, need constant noises to keep them occupied. Um, there's a little bit about premeditated farts that was quite funny as well. Yes. Um, and also there's a bit where uh, basically when he's doing the running and jumping stuff, he's in a hoodie and you can tell that that's literally all he's got in his his own wardrobe that is approximating robes. Like that's the closest uh, thing he's got is putting on like a beige hoodie. I thought that was quite interesting. That's a Warwick University hoodie, which I thought was quite an yeah. interesting choice. I, I couldn't really work out what the gag is there, apart from the fact it's probably what you'd not expect. A um, couple of other bits that I liked... At the beginning of this piece, when Alan says, don't worry, these men aren't ignoring me, they're monks, implying that they can't reply to him saying good morning. But I thought, obviously, the great joke is, they're a, fine, they can't say hello, but they could acknowledge him, but they literally don't. They, they are ignoring him. <laughs> um, yeah, the, There's a sort of creeping creeping theme around the monk's rudeness yeah, towards him, yeah, isn't yeah. there? I quite like that. They're supposed to be like very peaceful and very centred, but they're all pissed off with <laughs> yeah, him. Yeah, and even though he's just arrived. Um, like you were saying, the, the bashing of the BBC One audience I thought was great, that, yeah, BBC one viewers are thought to benefit from content with frequent noises um and the bit about the uh the farts i I did really want to add this in so he talks about um farts being involuntary unless preceded by now i have to go back to childhood (laughs) days here now i thought that is missing something slightly i had a couple of friends that used to do literally that uh that kind of preceding noise but with with this line, listen to this, too good to miss. Da, 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 da. So I think that would have been much better. <laughs> so uh, if, listeners, pl- do uh, feel free to use that uh, with any uh, or, premeditated uh, farts going forward. Or if if you uh, <laughs> if you have any stories about how your friends um, preempted some farts <laughs> yeah, at school, yeah, get yeah. in touch uh, yeah. <laughs> on the Monkey Tennis Hotline. That's nice. This is the kind of highbrow <laughs> content that we're known for. Uh, just to quickly uh, touch on a point that you mentioned there, Tom, um, where he's wearing a... Uh, is this about a, farts? Uh, I'm moving it on from farts, I'm afraid. Oh, <laughs> uh, the Warwick University hoodie. Um, I'm almost surprised like, I would have Alan Down as someone that would buy, like, university apparel to make himself look more intelligent. Like, like Oxford or Cambridge yeah, or something. A Harvard University hoodie or Oxford University hoodie. So I don't know how much of the gag is. He, he's just bought a hoodie from a uni he didn't go to to appear intelligent, but he's chosen Warwick as opposed to going in straight at the top. A couple of final things from this I like that he refers to the year as 2008, um, and he's talking about, about 2008. Um, and also, he, he does this thing that we enjoy sometimes where he sees someone and then tries to wildly speculate about their, their past. Mm. So some of the monks, he's like, perhaps this monk used to be in D-Ream, but his life became an, a nightmare, <laughs> and he decided to become an M um, and then just the soft I want unk is an absolutely beautiful touch I really liked it and then I think they cut to another one where he's like I don't have any thoughts about the past of this monk I just included him for no suddenly, reason suddenly this section um, is brilliant yeah <laughs> yeah I also enjoyed that he says uh, smiling constantly can begin to make your face ache I wondered if it felt the same for Holly Willoughby <laughs> which I really enjoyed so I did google Holly Willoughby images and I thought well, I bet you did one question I bet you did. Yeah, that's been a real hardship for oh. you Adam <laughs> Uh, one question quiz for you. True or false, the first 20 images that appear when you Google Holly Willoughby are of her smiling. True. Gotta be true. true. It's actually false. You've got 16 smiling, two forlorn, one confused about a plant, and one concentrating on an instruction to her earpiece. But yeah, the vast majority are very <laughs> cheerful. cheerful. <laughs> yeah. There are broader um, agreement that Holly Willoughby is cheerful. 
I love the physical comedy of Alan trying to get this tray of plant pots out of the door and Monk's basically just fronting him at every turn. He's getting properly mugged off here, isn't he? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, monked off. Those, the monks <laughs> He's are getting cruel. monked off. But, but again, for me, I felt like that gag played out a bit too long. Like, there yeah. were so many different iterations of the same joke. It's like one or two would have been fine. They still would have made the point. Mm. It's perhaps a little like the one every episode Ruth Duggan uh, disagreement gag that ran through the first series. Mm. Um, I know that obviously had variations and there's a bit more to it, but that did feel like it, it perhaps didn't vary enough over six episodes in series one. Um we're back in the studio and I think we're talking about addiction to tech. I thought Alan's example was worth digging into because uh, he describes that people's addiction to tech ha- has resulted in a cab driver struggling to work out the change from a £20 note for an £18 fare. He's like, clearly, <laughs> clearly the change is £2. I think probably what's caused the driver to pause here is that Alan wants that £2 back and isn't offering <laughs> nice. it as a tip. You know what? I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly it. Because it, the way he tells yeah. that, that's definitely something that's happened to him, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and yes, so he asked as as we used as a quote at the top of the episode is the apple in our pocket affecting the noodle in our, in your brains which also is is sort of nonsense that seems to make sense because your noodle is your head so the brains are in your head not the other way around you can't have a it's not a noodle in your brains is it <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good so point. again it doesn't stand up to even basic scrutiny i think it's important before we get to the digital i'll give you guys the breakdown here it takes alan 14 steps to get there that's 10 seconds of screen time and there are a full <laughs> four seconds of silence after alan has finished <laughs> simon's intro into the script so again in that's in, so in terms of real life tv 14 steps 10 seconds that is an eternity it's absolutely brilliant. Love it. Um, Simon Denton has an expanded role to include live calls, and I've just made the note, yeah, that's what he needs. <laughs> <laughs> more, more responsibility, although crucially the same. Finally money. got that promotion, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the tweets come through to at this time show. I believe we covered this in series one, but that account does exist. I, I think they yes, pretty much set it up to in order to avoid copycats. Um, yeah, but yeah, it, it, and, it gives you a nice little reveal when they must have been filming some of these. So this one about picking up the broken glass of bread, that is a real tweet that you can find. And I think it's dated the 25th of November. So that, mm. you know, you, if you really want to dig into the detail, there, there are a few other tweets that you can find as well. And obviously we don't yet know what they relate to. So that'll be interesting. It's good to see that the time between series one and series two has been spent getting familiar with the DigiWall. Uh, yeah, and he's it, it. Be- it becomes clear at this point that Simon has basically um, misunderstood uh, the brief. Um, yep. and, yes. And therein lies the gag. So we weren't supposed to be getting kind of, uh, I think Simon had kind of like asked if we would, if we'd lost uh, good old fashioned kind of common sense rather than kind of like a asking the bigger question around sort of our reliance on technology. So yet again, Simon has got this wrong. Yeah, because Alan wants to. Alan's thinking was more: Have we lost something in society? Simon somehow is basically converted that to housekeeping tips. <laughs> yep, we he wanted Alan's deep bath sponsored by Deathor, and you've got Simon's shallow shower. <laughs> basically, haven't you? Um, did you guys spot, um, spot all the uh, sweet and or chocolate wrappers coming out of Simon's pocket when he yeah. has the panic with a phone call? <laughs> no, I didn't. Nice. That's great. The, yeah. Yeah, just a great noise to hear on live yeah. telly. Uh, yeah, so so, he, so, he, so it's so in order to access the calls, he has to go f- calls, then live, 
and then there are three phones on the screen. <laughs> he gets out the big paper and just goes, I'll just put phone. That, that made yeah. me laugh so much. Like the, the look of like genuine panic, fear and confusion all at once. I've just put a phone. So good. I also, ha- I also had some sympathy as well because that is not Simon's fault, is it? That is the designer of the DigiWall's fault putting three phones on the screen and he's got to just pick one and hope it's the right one (laughs) I loved it when Simon is actually making minor breakthroughs with the Digiwall like his level of excitement and glee so when he's finally figured out what he needs to do he says come on then what's all the fuss about now let's go come on let's travel I love like the kind of overcompensation when he's finally getting something right that really tickled me yeah and I just really like the comedy timing and the way that it flowed when he works out that it's not Stephen Tent on line 4 yeah. it's Stephen Fort on line 10 and they get through to him and he's, and he hangs up he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the comedy timing of the hang up was very good yeah. oh, and then Alan's kind of like have we lost our common sense you've sort of answered that question <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, so yeah it turns out that there's some unused comic relief glitter cannons lying around that Alan wants to let off for the twins reunion uh, I thought this was really good because it's the return of glitter and Alan which have obviously mixed well in a, in a Dante's of Reading session in the past um, and also it kind of it's it's more fuel to the idea that the twins meeting is going to be a backfiring <laughs> <Yeah>. anticlimax <laughs> of some kind um, and it also refers back to Alan's kind of dalliances with comic relief that we've covered mm. on a previous episode so it's a lot going on or there. even uh, uh, dealing with white city pyrotechnics in knowing me knowing you all what could possibly go wrong with this Um, in this this little section with lynn as well so lynn's telling alan that the new producer seems pleased and has given jenny a thumbs up (laughs) and i i really like obviously when you read between lines that probably is good news for jenny but not good news for alan i think that's where that's leading to and uh, speaking of things that are not good news for Alan, Ruth Duggan's <laughs> back. Uh, Lolly Adafopi as Ruth Duggan uh, with a segment on the third Heathrow runway. Um, I mean, it's it's essentially kind of extending mm. the joke from from series one, but I do feel like they put some more effort into um, into kind of adding some flesh to the bones of this joke. Yeah, now. I was pleased it was a bit different. It is it is it's a similar con- conceit but the execution is different. And I also love that when Alan says hi to Ruth and she doesn't even respond at the start of this section, so immediately they've signposted that relationship hasn't got any better. But I think for me, I would say these bits are definitely cleverly scripted, but I just don't feel like they add very much. It feels a bit too much like a retread. And actually his interaction with Ruth always feels quite kind of overly performative for me. So it just, I don't know, there's just something about them that it just, I, I, I could live without it, I think is what I'm saying. I think a lot of people, when we were doing feedback for Series 1, when they revisited a section with Roof, um, people were saying, oh, it's just a repeat of the gag. And obviously the point, again, the conceit of the show, that you're going to have returning sections, you're going to have returning mm. sort of roving reporter sorts of things, given what the show is. And I kind of do understand that, but... I really liked this section. I thought it was really good. I, uh, like, we're completely on Alan's side on this. I think. Like, I don't know if I'm speaking for the rest of the group, but like, Ruth is really unprofessional towards him. In the, in you know, if this was real or whatever. But um, you know, she would be reprimanded. You would think for her unprofessional behaviour. But um, I, I just really like the ending of it, where um, Ruth says, you know, this it could have implications for thousands, and then Alan just goes, thousands of what, Ruth? <laughs> Chairs, yeah, beans. Bees, cats, cats, grapes, crabs. <laughs> oh, people! Right, okay, sorry, just wasn't clear. And then yeah. signs of yeah, yeah. sorry, it, yeah, oh yeah. And then he's like, yeah, sorry, that's that's the sixty-four thousand brackets dollar <laughs> question. But yeah, I just really like. I kind of like the, the the back and forth and like the kind of jousting that they do together. I I actually quite enjoy it, even though I kind of do understand that it is a bit of a repeat gag. 
Yeah, I find it, I think I'm more of the opinion that it is a little bit rep- uh, repetitive. And I also don't always sort of see the Gibbons as wanting to retread ground. So I'm in some respects surprised that they have done that. What I will say is a positive for it, though, is that I do think it it's a nice balance so that Alan isn't like the butt of the joke the whole time. I think it balances it out slightly because, as you say, you, you know, Ru- Ruth is kind of being unprofessional here and Alan is, you're on his side, essentially, because she is making things difficult. So I think it's a nice balance between not making him, you know, the butt of all the jokes. It kind of gives gives him a little bit of extra kudos in the eyes of the producers and you know audiences but also in the eyes of the the viewers that are actually watching this as as fans of Alan. I wonder if we're going to get a uh, Dave Clifton moment in this series with Ruth when Alan finally has the end gets to the end of his tether with Dave Clifton on uh, in I'm Alan Partridge series one and he just goes oh fuck off like that I wonder if we're going to have a culmination where Alan just maybe loses it and like the facade drops with Ruth because he just can't take it anymore because she's being so making life so difficult for him. And that's in, that's interesting actually because obviously a big kind of plot point with series one is him and Jenny losing it with each other or him more losing it at Jenny. So it, yeah, it's interesting because I think an easier route would have been for him and Ruth to really lose it mm. at each other in quite quite an audible way. So yeah, that's interesting. Speaking of returning characters, did anyone else expect Sam Chatwin, played by Simon Barnaby, to be back this time? I, I genuinely thought he was, he was probably out of <laughs> yeah. it for good. I did love, though, when he enters on, he's like, hello, you horrible lot. I don't know, there's something about Sam Chatwin that I do want to. He's kind of like horrible, but I actually do quite like him. I think it's played very, yeah. very well. Like the, the attention yeah. to detail in the script and how the character is and stuff like that. I it's very well played and you he is a believable character i think like as someone who returns yeah. to the show is a kind of like no oh, you know the love and the warmth that i have like he's really smarmy <laughs> yeah. really cheesy but it's it's very smarmy, well played. Yeah. Is the word. yeah it's very yeah. well played and very well written i think uh- I think he brings that sort of not. He, I don't think he's been typecast at all. But I think he brings that sort of charisma to his role in Detectorists yep. as well. Mm. That kind of like that sort yeah. of sort of smarmy assumption. And also, if anyone's uh, if anyone's not seen it before, I really recommend the Warp Films production called Bunny and the Bull, which he's in along with Noel Fielding and various other people. It's like a kind of part animated, part sort of uh, like not intellectual but kind of like it's like a sort of headspace drama, and it's just a brilliant film. And he's he's one of the main roles in that. Just uh, whilst we're doing a quick recommendation, a tangent here, I was going to say, with the actress that played Clarissa Hoskin, that was uh, an actress called Layla Farzad. She is in I Hate Susie, which was a Billy Piper kind of drama from last year. She plays uh, Billy Piper's agent in that show. If you guys haven't seen that, I highly, highly recommend it. It's really funny, really creative. Like every episode kind of tells a kind of different story in a different way. Both Leela and Billy Piper are fantastic in it. So if we're doing adjacent recommendations, do add that to the list. I did, hate uh, Susie. Did, uh, did anyone notice Alan swap T's for D's when uh, he when Sam comes in and says, oh, I've got some stuff to give to you and he gives out the book and stuff like that. And Alan says, uh, yeah, I've got, you know, I've got stuff to give to you from the dressing room, like a bottle of water. Oh, I didn't oh, yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I did. I did. I, Bottle of I did, water. I did like that he kind of goes into panic mode at that point, doesn't he? So he's like, feels like he has to match Sam in front of the audience. He's like, yeah, I've got a couple of towels, some bottles of water, 12, 12 egg sandwiches. Again, re- returning to his <laughs> kind of like his love of egg, or although he does say 11 after he's after he's had one. What what I really enjoyed though, he's, he, he ends that sentence with which he says, got 12 egg sandwiches, which I'm happy, which he says, I'm happy to throw at them. So it's like throw, <laughs> at, throw at the audience. Like I yep. can imagine Alan enjoying throwing egg sandwiches. <laughs> a BBC studio audience. 
And he follows that by throwing a mug at an audience member. There's quite an audible thud after that happens, and you can see other audience members are looking very concerned. <laughs> Spotted that, great. Nice. Um, so, yeah, I guess probably arguably one of the first genuine bombshells of the series. Um, did anyone see this coming, that Sam and Jenny no. are dating? No, not at, not all. at all. No, no. So quite seems an odd match. I think it? that's sort of. I think that's half of the half of the joke because Alan could obviously draw you know direct comparisons to you know their mm-hmm. their age. So the fact that it is such a kind of shock gives obviously some sort of fuel to to the gag. Um, but no, I I never saw this coming. Did you love how uh, awkward and cringe inducing as well when Alan is basically stuck in a handshake with Sam while Sam and Jenny are in a yeah. very <laughs> long loving embrace as well. That was so <laughs> awkward to watch. Uh, and as Alan says, you. Make a cracking couple and the thing is i actually mean it <laughs> yeah because they've got contrasting hair colors uh they've got a height difference and uh sam has public school confidence making up for any shortfall that jenny might have <laughs> <laughs> yeah which i thought i thought tied quite nicely into the fact that she's got that never ever compromise uh, mm. sign in her dressing room like she's sort of you know she's had to really fight to get here whereas sam has coasted on like his family connections well, he's the son as we know factual programming isn't it <laughs> yeah exactly i did put in my notes here I wonder, is Jenny going to let comments like that slide or is she going to explode at Alan in this series? Because I think, you know, fine, we're only one episode in, but there have been a few instances where you think the Jenny that we already know, surely at some point she's going to flip on him if he keeps on making little barbs like that. So Sam Chatwin is the host of a BBC One travel show called A Sense of Place. That's what he's here to talk about. Um, There's a really nice bit when they come off the back of a bit of uh, a clip of the show where Alan is describing Sam as Britain's best love TV presenter. I mean, even a beginner uh, to the APU will know that he can't possibly mean this. (laughs) He's not going to rate rate Sam above himself. And so it it transpires that he's like, Sam's like, oh God, yeah, where did you get that from? And he's like, oh yeah, yeah. It was taken from your website. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then don't they describe... I can't remember if they speculate about other travel shows. They, they sort of try, like to imagine no. other travel shows oh, that no, no, could no, happen no. with it, celebrities. It's episodes of that show. Yeah, do, you, exactly. do you have the oh, that's Nick, right. do you have the list? Yes, there I've got, are three. I've got, I've do you want to go list. for it? Yeah, I've, I've got the list here. Well, well actually, actually four, technically. Yeah. yeah. I've got I've got all four. So it's kind of a, it's almost like a double-handed joke where um he talks about the celebrity and and where they're going to go and then and then there's a kind of like a payoff with Alan's reaction. So the first one is is Giants Causeway with Jensen Button. I'd love to which, see that. Yeah. <laughs> Second, Balmoral with Morgan Freeman. I'd love to see that. I'd love to see that. <laughs> uh, North Wales with Amanda Holden. So the next <laughs> one is the gag. And then finally, uh, Jenny and Sam um, go to uh, Reykjavik. Uh, I must admit, out of that list, I probably would uh, pick Balmoral with Morgan Freeman. I would definitely watch that. that This feels like a bank holidays retread again, doesn't it, as well? (laughs) Yeah, it does, actually. But I was going to ask a question to the group. What is your favourite place? With a celebrity. Oh, yeah, actually, yeah, you can probably pick a celebrity as well. Why not? Go nuts. I'm happy to start. Um, I think I would go. Uh, <laughs> I would go to the National Football Museum with John Barnes. <laughs> That's it. I've been there. It is a great place. There's a lot of history. You can learn a lot, and uh, it's a, it's in Manchester. So just stay out in Manchester with John Barnes. That's okay, so for the purpose of the travel show concept, you're going to Manchester with John Barnes. That's how the show works. <laughs> all right, then I'm going. All right, I'm going to go to Italy with uh, Claudia Winkleman. <laughs> great. <laughs> better, better. Oh. 
Yeah. Will she be Will she be buying extra luggage allowance for that fringe? Oh, no, she, well, no, she doesn't need to. She, doesn't, she can travel light because the fringe protects her from, uh, from the sun. Uh, I would go to Hawaii with um, Sophie Ellis-Baxter. I think she'd be quite a lot of fun, and I've always wanted to go to Hawaii. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, Sophie, um, I'm on Twitter. Just message me. We can go. <laughs> we'll make it happen. Um, I think I'd probably... Putting myself on the spot, I'm going to go for a weekend in Barcelona and I'm going to take Anna de Armas with me so we can figure out when that bloody Bond film is going to come out. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, I'm taking Griff Reese from the band Super Fairy Animals to the Isles of Silly for a little mumble and a no, ramble. No, 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 no. I don't think you've understood the concept of the game, Adam. <laughs> 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 y- y- you've chosen a man. <laughs> you've, you've, yes. got, you've got it That's... wrong. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Just a quick thing on North Wales with Amanda Holden. I thought that worked on two levels. That's obviously a dig at Amanda Holden, but possibly, particularly from Alan's point of view, a dig at North Wales as well, right? Yeah, I think it, yeah. it's, oh, yeah. Very it's much matching so. someone he doesn't like, probably with the location. With a place he doesn't have an interest in. Yes, <laughs> yeah. it's in, exactly uh, that. In, in terms of um, sort of acting um, nous in this episode, I really enjoyed um, the moment, obviously... Um, Sam produces the book and gives one over to Jenny and she opens it and it, it's blank and he's like, oh, is it? And you, he op- she opens the page to the to the ring and you see Alan or Steve clock the ring. In terms of how um, he reacts to that, you see him visibly deflate. And I just really like that as a note because obviously Alan is so excited about this twins bit. He really he thinks it's going to be great television and he knows in that moment that he's been usurped and you just buy, not only by the moment, but by Sam as well. And you just see him visibly de- deflate and I just really like that as a touch. That's great, isn't it? And because it's, it's not even about Jenny and Sam getting engaged. It's about it's ruined his bit of TV moment. It, yeah. It's because it's ruined his moment of TV glory. That's why he's deflated, yeah. And, and also it comes hot on the heels of him kind of, you know, being quite stern and getting a bit of a, a one-upmanship on Sam, where Sam's kind of like, oh, the welcome I always get when I come back here. It always feels like home, to which Alan goes... I that is absolutely that's absolutely his I am the danger I am the one who knocks from Breaking Bad that's basically Alan's <laughs> yeah. equivalent of that yeah, yeah, yeah that was really great another little um, script uh, section that I liked on this is when uh, Alan goes what a wonderful way to end that section <laughs> <laughs> not the episode not the yeah. show just that section another bit I particularly enjoyed was he just really slams the Sam's book down on the sofa the way he kind of like passes it across and slams it down that just really really tickled me and just the kind of enforcing of the the class divide between Sam and Alan Sam kind of representing the establishment and the top layers of the BBC going on summer holidays to Kenya or Kenya versus Alan going on holiday in Anglesey and doing jigsaws I, I, I like the way they're kind of they're setting up them at kind of opposite ends of the spectrum like that uh, so yeah, um, sort of flowers are brought out. There's colossal congratulations from Alan. Um, good use of that word uh, again from the Alan lexicon. And uh, what <laughs> I enjoyed is the confetti cannons are fired as well. And obviously Lynn is deploying the confetti cannons. So either Lynn has fired them at the wrong time, or I'm wondering if Lynn is kind of overwhelmed with joy at the fact that Jenny is engaged, that she's just forgotten when she should be firing them, just thinks now is the moment and fires out the confetti cam- cannons to, to help celebrate it. I'm not sure that um Lynn is a fan of Jenny so I don't know if she would be excited for her getting I think she'd be more annoyed that she's usurping Alan's moment because as we know what's good for Alan is good for Lynn yeah so I'm not sure I don't know I I, I, I think what would make sense in the in in the universe of the show is somebody on the studio floor has seen the confetti cannons 
witnessed the engagement happen and gone, oh, that's what the confetti cannons are for. I don't think Lynn's triggered them. I think Lynn was waiting in the corner like a mouse for the end of the show and hasn't been able to get to them in time. Um, In all of this melee, or just before this happens, there's also a nice little exchange where uh, Sam is trying to talk about the, the book that he's releasing of the series and how the book is very much its own thing distinct <laughs> from the TV series and then Alan basically makes him read out the title which is just like yeah it's it's the same as the TV series it's based on a TV series called the same thing with him from the TV series uh, I enjoyed that a lot and I do think that happens a lot in publishing doesn't it like when things end up being tied into successful films and they have mm. to like change the jacket to look like the film poster and all of that kind of stuff I, I'd also like to just add in this section I think the line that <laughs> probably made me laugh out loud the most in watching this episode was when Jenny gets Alan to smell the flowers. He goes, smell these. And he goes, mmm, nice. He's like, he's so annoyed, but still trying to react positively. Just like two words, but just the way he acted that, that just made me laugh so much. I can't believe it. Yeah, is it time to kind of wrap to the sort of final frantic scene of the show? <laughs> the, the failed surprise, yeah. yeah. <laughs> This uh, I, I like this because this is another, I think, a good example of the Gibbons and, and Steve giving you tidbits throughout the show that let you think it's going to go a certain way. You know, you, you think you think that this story is going to get the full amount of airtime it deserves and that one of the twins will hate the other one or that they'll, he'll punch Alan because he was promised a caravan. Or, you know, all the things that we could have we could have envisaged happening are not what actually happens. Yeah. Um, I also like that it's quite reminiscent the way that he has to now kind of rattle through the story of these twins <laughs> in about 10 <laughs> seconds is very like his recounting of yeah. bond in the yeah. static yeah. home after, after everyone's getting bond wrong. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. That kind of, that kind of like just his sort of frantically trying to run through all the details in time. I really enjoy choice. And sounding a bit Chinese. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed the choice lines of where is he, bring him out, and clap him now, all of which combined with a kind of Chinese delivery style. Cash in um, hand, pay no tax. <laughs> yeah. so this is and he signs off the whole thing, we're going to cry, no, all right, goodbye, terrible television. Yeah. <laughs> He's so blessed that it's gone Fade so badly. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and that's the episode. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, what are everyone's general thoughts about the return of Alan? I mean, I personally, I feel like they've addressed a lot of the things I wasn't so keen on in this time. Um, I think they're bringing back recurring characters in the right kind mm-hmm. of a way. I think it feels like there's more of a narrative thrust. It feels like there's more attention paid to the off off air quite in, in air quotes uh, sections of the show um, so there's a little bit more that's kind of down the I'm Alan Partridge route rather than all being down the kind of knowing me knowing you it's all happening live going out broadcast and I think that's, a, that's only a good thing yeah I mean I think I really enjoyed this episode on, on first viewing um, I think I've really enjoyed the way they've built all the character interactions so far i think it's a luxury they have that they they're now on to series two that means you can bring everything we've seen from series one the previous six episodes to build the narrative and the character interactions and the character arcs which just makes ultimately a richer show for us for series two hopefully um but yeah i think first episode felt very strong on the whole really enjoyed it like i say even the bits that weren't my favourites were still funny and had a lot of gags so uh, yeah ultimately felt really great yeah I would just say that I think more of the same would often feel like a negative but actually in this context I would definitely say it as a kind of positive I think that they're able to take a format and 
breathe new life into it whilst making it feel familiar um, and and changing just enough about it that it's retained what I liked about the first series but actually found kind of new things to kind of develop. My only small thing is, as we've mentioned, and we don't need to sort of cover it anymore, was just the the sort of outside VT sections. I'm curious to see how they pan out and, you know, do they get stronger? Like just more once we get to episode six and we're able to look back, I'm just curious to how those VTs play out. Yeah, I mean, a, a strong first episode, and I think you guys have pretty much covered all the points that, that I would make and I kind of echo them. But um, I think one thing that, you know, Ad, Adam kind of touched on this, um, in the in the first series where it's good that right from the beginning we've got the start of a potential arc that could last for the whole series this relationship between uh, Jenny and Sam how is that going to develop what's going to happen there is that going to last the duration is it going to is Alan going to get involved in some way in splitting them up like um, you know he he somehow finds out some information that puts a spanner in the works of of, of their relationship so I'm you know i am a big fan like like adam is of of in shows like this having a narrative arc that can run through the series and i think this is um a good place to start and i'm i'm excited for the potential that it has um so before we go there's the small matter of our predictor partridges um those of you that listen to our feedback episodes recently will know that we all each predicted a couple of things or one or two things that we thought would happen in this first episode let's see how we did in short badly um, <laughs> I, I hedged my bets with two predictor partridges. I said a dog will be seen either in VT or live on set. Don't believe that's happened. Um, and I said that the origins of Alan's tooth lapel pin will be revealed. Well, uh, although we did see the pin, there were no further clues about what its purpose is. So that's, that's zero on both counts. Tom Stab said that Jenny and Alan will unite against a common foe. I would argue we didn't see that no, happen, really. So. Tom Dark, I think, has hedged his bets as well with something that was probably 50 50 whether it would happen or not uh we will not see the pandemic referred to in any way well that has happened uh so congrats yeah i mean uh, I, I, I yeah like i did say i did kind of cheat there just based on the press shots we'd seen alone they were far too close for that to be like social distancing <laughs> but yeah yeah uh, and nick said that we would hear from denise and or fernando sadly not even a mention of them so far i've got a feeling denise and fernando their their comic potency relies on them never being seen i don't think we'll ever see them in in the apu i think they're kind, they're like maris in frasier or they're like mm. the truth about the camping trip in gavin and stacy uh like <laughs> their comedy their comedy comes from their absence and i think to shine too big a light on them might yes. spoil absolutely just, pissed on nick's chips on christmas well, day there, to, 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 well maybe just just to you know just be clear um it's the reference that they had in uh i think episode three of series one of this time where it's a passing reference about you know having coffee in my favorite starbucks in my favorite seat with my you know that's a reference to his daughter so i completely agree you're never going to see them as characters but more references to them within alan's life was kind of what i was pitching for but either way it hasn't happened and i can accept that adam there we go. Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, congratulations to Tom Dark, then the victor of per Predictor Partridge. Um, and we would obviously love to hear your thoughts about this episode now that it's out in the wild. Uh, I mentioned them at the top of the show, but you can email us thepartridgepod at gmail.com, facebook.com slash thepartridgepod. We're Twitter at thepartridgepod, Instagram at monkeytennispod. Leave us a voice note, why don't you, on the Monkey Tennis hotline 07923 They're probably our favourites to receive, and we do like to put them in future shows as well. Um, and if you've enjoyed what you've heard for free, uh, you can go 
to ko-fi.com slash monkey tennis uh, and shout us the price of an individual cup of coffee which will be pennies in each of our pots or why not go whole hog and get us all one and we'll be forever grateful and maybe even read your name out on a future episode um, so we'll obviously be back next week we've got five more episodes of this time to go and we're very excited to cover them for your uh, listening pleasure um, please do subscribe if you can uh, and then you'll make sure you get our episodes as soon as this time goes out on BBC One uh, until next week Thanks from all of us at Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast, and goodbye. Bye. I wonder if Amanda Holden would want to go to the football museum with um, you and John Barnes, Tom. It's my It's that time. What time? High time to say, if you've got time to give this time your time, then it's time to let this time spend time making your time a good time on this time. Monkey tennis, please, please, cook your eggs. Be safe. Be excellent. Monkey tennis, can I have a glass of water, please? It forced me to say he is gone. Monkey tennis, I said I'd find out more. I haven't done that. Pay for dinner, yeah? Monkey tennis, I said, who the hell is that? That's merely a shamed boy in a wig. Monkey tennis, there is broad agreement that John was good. Tommy, join me at the lady. The show that promises to be all things. To all men. And all women. And everything in between. Monkey tennis, there's a shuttlecock up there. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.